0: in the synthesis of yoga entitled self-consecration we spoke how yoga is not to be taken as a pastime or a technique to be developed in one's spare hours but It is a whole-time occupation, indeed, a pre-occupation. Yoga, we said, is a new birth, a birth from out of the limited existence, in ignorance and imperfection, into the vast life of light, knowledge and bliss. We also consider that the door of entry into yoga is not the same for everyone. It can come through many ways. One may awake to the truth of yoga and the necessity of practicing it. As a result, of some inner door opening or as a result of an impact from a mighty personality or some shock in life forcing you to awaken to the impermanence of worldly life as it is and to the possibility of leading a larger and a deeper life not susceptible to the shock of circumstances of the external life. Whatever the door of entry, it is imperative that the whole being must take to yoga. At any rate, the integral yoga demands that there has to be an integral acceptance. Yoga cannot be led only in the mind or only in the physical body. The mind, the heart, the will, all of them, have to assent to the demands of yoga and have to collaborate with goodwill towards the cultivation of yogic values. We also observe that the first condition of doing yoga is to reverse the direction of our existence. Normally, the eyes of man, the mind of man, is turned externally, outward, extrovert. By persistent will, our energies have to be turned within, inward. They have to be introverted, directed towards the soul, And then we observe that this yoga does not seek an individual salvation beyond this world, into some paradise elsewhere, it does not reject life as a falsehood, or as an inferior existence. It looks upon the world and the universe as a manifestation of God. It has to be fully possessed, possessed in the spirit and in the light and the consciousness of its maker. We recall Sri Aurobindo's exhortation Reject not the body of God, O God-lover, take it to thy joy. His body is as delightful as his spirit. After accepting this broad perspective of our effort, We awake in the process of yoga, in the process of self-observation, self-purification and self-discovery, that we are not what we normally think to be. We are normally aware of only our surface personality, and the surface personality is nothing else accept a conglomeration of various thoughts, feelings, emotions, movements held together by the linchpin of the shadowy figure of ego. When we look within ourselves at the start of yoga, we become aware that we are not one but we have many. When I look inside, I become aware that my mind has an existence of its own. My heart has its own emotions. It does not consult the mind. It is not dependent upon the mind for its feelings. There is the vast life energy which does pretty well what it likes. There is the physical body, which is tyrannized by both the mind and the life. There are so many complex personalities within each one. One has to observe. One has to disengage each part from the others and treat it to the higher of the inner light. One also becomes aware that one is not alone. When we look into our thoughts, we see only a fraction of our thoughts have been born in ourselves. We are constantly open to waves after waves of thought invasions from the universal atmosphere. They come unknown, unobserved, and take shape into our thought substance, giving us the illusion that we are thinking, our thoughts, our feelings. Actually, if you are to look behind the wear of the physical body, you see how defenseless you are against the constant flux of the universal life, universal mind the universal heart pouring through you, crossing through you at various levels. The seeker awakes to the enormity of the problem for here one has to control, one has to check, one has to answer, not for his own thoughts alone, not to stake content By controlling and purifying one's own emotions, but be aware and take cognizance of the daily invasion of fresh thoughts, fresh feelings coming from outside. Man being an evolutionary being, he has to carry the burden of the earth's evolution. (coughs) If I control one stream of tendencies, today, tomorrow, there is another stream. That is because not only I am open to invasion from outside, but the entire past is there. The direction, the line of sensations, thoughts, emotions, sense impressions that have been determined by my past, not only in this birth but in many births. So, the enormity of the problem that calls for solution is limitless. How man, a puny being that he is, can be expected to meet the situation is a relevant question. But, as you are aware, in this yoga of transformation, one does not proceed alone. It is impossible for man, unaided by higher power, to put one step further. One can prepare oneself by way of purification, rejection, surrender. But the actual working out of the change, one needs a higher impetus, a higher dynamism. With these provisos, when one starts, one has to live, one has to lay equal emphasis on the mind, on the heart, on the will. The traditional way of emphasizing only one aspect of the personality, say, the heart, to the exclusion of others, is not open to the sadhaka, the integral yoga. In the traditional yogas in India, in the yoga of knowledge, it is enough that the seeker uses his discrimination to separate the true from the false, the eternal from the transient, looks for Brahman, looks for the divine reality everywhere and concentrates only upon it. He ignores all other things, he ignores his whole being except the concentrating, mental faculties. The heart dries up, the life energies are bottled up, the physical body is ignored. There is no concern of the seeker of the path of knowledge. Similarly, in the traditional yoga of devotion, one is concerned with opening the heart to the presence to the influence of God as love, harmony, beauty. He shuts himself from the riches of the mind, from the dynamisms of life. Similarly, in the yoga of action, one does work disinterestedly, but work and nothing else, is not concerned with illumination of the mind, with the emotional richness of surrender to the Lord. But in the Integral Yoga, all these centers demand attention. One may start where nature is most developed. Each one of us has a different starting point, but that shall not be the final point. One can start where one is most ready by temperament, by equipment one is most developed in a particular area. There one can start, but one has to have the total view. The gains in one center have to be communicated to the others. One has, Shio points out, to learn. To concentrate upon the One, the sole reality that exists in the universe. Everything must point to Him, to that. The whole mind must be soaked with the idea, with the truth of oneness of God. But that's not enough. Simultaneously, the heart must be opened, it must be trained, it must be cultured to embrace the divine in the all. The divine is not merely one and soul, but all and multiple. One has to first mentally conceive that the divine is in all, one has to learn to respond to vibrate to the felt presence of the divinity among all. The mind concentrates upon the one, the heart expands and embraces the divine in the all, and the will, the will presiding over the energies. It subordinates itself to the Divine Master and learns to effectuate whatever impulse is imparted to it from within or from above. In this context, Sri Aurobindo notes that it is not enough to have a mental knowledge. Knowledge is necessary. To know what is what, to know what is not, is indeed indispensable. Otherwise, one does not know where one goes. But know, to know from books, to know from others who have had the experience, to know mentally is only the starting point. Unless mental knowledge is translated into living practice, it remains a dry learning, effective force for yogic or spiritual evolution. One cannot either segment one's realization to a particular aspect of the Divine chosen by the mind. The Divine, Sri points out, has many facets, many poises. The seeker conceives and approaches the Divine as the Supreme Master, as the Supreme Lord to whom he surrenders his whole being. But He is also aware that the divine is not limited to the personality of his conception. There are vast impersonal poises of the divine through which the divine is spread and manifest. Let us not at the moment speak of that part which is unmanifest. What is manifest? Existence, Consciousness, Bliss, these impersonal realities, states of consciousness, states of being, states of bliss, they are all ebullitions of the Divine Being, person, personality and impersonality. They are both parallel truths, the obverse and the reverse of the same reality. The seeker keeps his being open to whatever experience and realization is vouchsaf to him. He does not determine beforehand the form in which the realization should come to him. He uses, to start with, the liver, which nature normally uses in day-to-day life. Desire is the motive force of action in in this world of lower nature. The seeker starts at that point. He turns his desire from worldly pursuits to one pursuit of the eternal, of the divine. Desire as a motive force is turned towards God. With great enthusiasm things start. Gradually, as one progresses, as higher and more veiled states of being get opened, one begins and learns to transfer the very poise of desire. One gives up the initial standpoint of desire. One seeks perfection. One seeks liberation, not for oneself, but for the divine. We are part of a divine scheme. Each man has a part to play. It is as part of divine creation. To manifest the divine, to take one to participate in the divine creation, that liberation from ignorance, a kind of perfection in spiritual consciousness is aimed at. The very perspective before the desire is changed. One no more seeks liberation for oneself, but for the Divine. The third step is, one learns to work, to anticipate not in the way one wants, but in the way that is indicated. One does not determine beforehand that yoga shall go in this way, in that direction, but allows oneself to be wafted in the manner and in the direction chosen by the Almighty Grace. Necessarily, this training and conversion of desire is accompanied by stages of surrender, self-surrender, which again passes through three stages. The first stage of self-surrender, self-consecration, after all, self-consecration means the working out of the central determination to surrender in day-to-day detail, hourly detail, that is consecration. The first stage of self-consecration or self-surrender is characterized by intense personal effort. (coughs) One summons the best of oneself, exerts oneself in every way, at every moment, to submit oneself to the higher guidance, to the higher force. As a result of this constant aspiration, this burning aspiration and exertion of will, there begins a response from the Divine. Maybe from here, or from above. It answers, it gives support to your aspiration. And there is, in the second stage, a mixed or a joint endeavor in which the upward aspiration is constantly seconded and supported by a descending grace or descending spiritual force. The third stage is when the whole of the personal effort has been assumed into the divine working. The personal element loses itself and becomes no more than a channel for the working of the divine force. These are the three stages personal effort, effort constantly seconded by higher descent, third, purely a divine working. These are the three stages of surrender. Necessarily, the, pers- the stage of personal effort is the most important for the seeker, till He learns to dissolve himself, to be dead to himself. As long as the ego is active, ambition is there, the shadow of ego prevails, personal effort is indispensable. It is only after the ego is surpassed that The sadhana can be said to be taken up by the higher yogic power and one need not make a personal exertion, though one has to put in the labor of vigilance, receptivity and a constant response to the action of the higher or the deeper force. In what way surrender to the divine is to be worked out first in action on the physical plane will be the subject of the next chapter we shall take up at our next session. Thank you.